Good morning again, everyone. I really want to welcome those joining us on the live stream. I often forget you, but uh, very welcome to you if you are joining us online for whatever reason. And if you are online, you may want to turn over at this point. Um, I know that the Crown season five has begun, so maybe you want to watch a bit of that. I know it's mixed reviews. Um, but if you're tuning in or if you're here this morning and you're wanting to hear a kind, encouraging, uplifting kind of word, you, you may leave today, if I'm honest, thoroughly disappointed. Um, we love, more than anything, to hear about the love of God. We love to hear about God's mercy on us. One of my favourite Bible verses, and it's also in one of my favourite hymns, is Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, and when I go to shower, which I do most mornings, as I feel those water droplets come over me, it's that reminder each day that before I go and do anything, God's mercy is lavished upon me. And God is a loving and a merciful God. He is a God who is loving in what is known as his common grace. He loves every single person on the planet. God loves those that love him back. He loves those who are ignorant of him. He loves those who ignore him. And he loves even those that say that they absolutely hate him. And when the Apostle Paul was ministering, when he was going and loving and caring and ministering to all sorts of people, he preached constantly about God's love. And in Acts 17, when he's in a place called Athens, he's debating with philosophers and he sees a statue that is devoted to the unknown God. And, God, and he talks about God's love, the fact that this is a God who didn't need to create the world, but created the world, whom everyone, whether they confess it or not, they live and they breathe because of God allowing them to do so. And God creates creation that we would enjoy it, that we would enjoy relationships with one another. And God does all this so that we would seek him, and as it says in that passage, though he is not far from any one of us. And yet, at the end of that sermon, Paul says these rather sobering words. He says, God has fixed a day which he, that is Jesus, will judge the world in righteousness. Or as the writer of Hebrews says, man is destined to die once and after that, to face judgment. Today's passage describes in just a few, a few verses what that day will be like, a day where God's patience and his mercy, which is currently shown to everyone upon this earth, will come to an end. And for those that are not in Christ, there will be a full stop, there will be a sense of the drawbridge coming up, the door being closed and locked. What does that judgment day look like? Well, why don't you just have the passage open at Revelation 20 
and look at all these details of which we don't have much time to go through this morning. Well, how does John see it play out in this vision? Well, verse 11 says, this is the scene, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. We've come across this throne. The last time I think I was speaking was on Revelation 4 and 5, and there was a majestic throne where all of those in heaven were constantly worshipping God upon the throne. Whether this is the exact same throne, it's hard to tell, but the description is that it is a great white throne. It's great, showing its power, it's white, showing its purity, and it's a throne which shows its purpose. This scene shows us quite a scary image that all will have their day in court. It's great in its power. This is, you might say, a picture of the supreme, supreme Court. This is the highest courtroom in all of heaven and earth. It's a courtroom, can you imagine, which has universal jurisdiction. A court where every decision is irreversible, where sentences cannot be overturned, where there is no court of an appeal, of, of, there is a court of no appeal, where evidence will be offered, and it will be irrefutable. There will be no rebuttal offered. There will be no defence. There will be no advocate for the defence. There will be no mistrial of justice. There will be, in some respects, for certain people, no mercy. It's a great in its power. It's a white throne really representing its purity because the judge who occupies it, Jesus, is infallible. He is not tainted by sin or prejudice. He is fair. He shows no partiality, no bias. And it's a throne showing its purpose. I don't know if you remember the programme. I remember it quite fondly in the 90s. This is your life. And I think it was running for many years when I watched it, it was Trevor MacDonald and they had the red book which you would open up and then all these people would appear on video saying a nice complimentary bit about someone's life. I remember Anton Decker on it and celebrating their 25 years in show business together. And it was something you'd do, maybe you went to a, somebody's 80th or 90th party and you do a little, this is your life. Well, what we see here is a not very nice version of that, as everyone will have their day in court, where there will be no sin that will be hidden, whether it's thought, motive, intention, action done, things not done, all will be accounted. There'll be no exaggeration. It will be perfectly judged. And do you see that description in verse 11, where the earth and the heaven flee? That sense of which you're going to want to get out of the room, where nothing will be uh, hidden. Well, who's on the stand? Look at verse 12. And I saw the dead, that's everyone, great and small, 
So the universal resurrection, by this time, whenever it is, has taken place. The great, we might say, we can think and reflect upon those who have used their lives to make their name great. They've used their life to be perhaps quite ruthless, to become great, to become powerful, to use the world as their stage, and in some circumstances have even treated something like war as just a hobby to make sure that they can be elevated, that they can become powerful. They go by the name of Alexandra the Great, Herod the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, Mao, Mussolini, and in our own day, someone like Putin. Someone who is known by all, but also known by the Lord God Almighty. The great will be before Jesus, and the small will be before Jesus. Those who are seemingly insignificant, they're not known by many. Those who just plod on in life, our neighbours, our friends, our family members, people perhaps you wouldn't describe as malicious, and yet those who live their entire life without reference to God, ignoring him. And concerning everyone's fate, it says in verse 12, and the books were opened. The books, there's two types of books here, the books of deeds and the book of life. Now we really can't cover much in what is about seven minutes left. So this is a, quite a joy for me at this say, point to say on this massively sensitive an emotive topic where we all know people and have people very close to us who don't know the Lord at this point in time, that this evening it would be very good if many of us could come to this elephant in the room where in detail and with the opportunity, I, I believe, for questions, we'll be able to look at the idea of judgment and hell and what's Hades and what does it mean that we'll be judged as Christians and non-Christians and how that all works itself out. But essentially, from this picture, we can say this, that sin is ultimately judged in two ways. Either our sin will be paid for by the blood of Jesus, by his sacrifice, or it will be paid for by the fires of hell. Either we can have in this life Jesus' righteousness imputed onto us, we can trust in his finished atoning work, or we can stand before him in our own righteousness and have our own works put against us, put before us, where we have to give an account in that way. In verse 13, each person was judged according to what they had done. For those who stand in front of Jesus on the basis of their works alone, God will bring justice to bear upon them in perfect harmony with the deeds they have committed. And then verse 15 says, anyone whose name was not found within the book of life, 
This is the book of the Lamb, which we've heard about previously in Revelation. This is for those who have become Christians, who have given their life to Jesus, trust in his righteousness. For those that are not in that book, it gives us this image, which will be unpacked this evening. It says they were thrown into the lake of fire. Our sin is ultimately paid for by the blood of Jesus, or it can be paid for by the fires of hell. Now, it's not for us in the few minutes that we have to use this to speculate, to scare, or even to reassure, but it is for us, as if we are in Christ, if we're Christians, to trust in the justice of the great white throne and that God, who is all-powerful, who is pure, will administer his justice, not according to our will, but according to his perfect purposes. Now, with that said, I just want to spend a few minutes looking at some of the implications of what it might mean as we live in the light of the judgment seat of Christ. So the first thing is this. One of the things that should help us to be assured of is that our God is a God of justice. And of course, as we look at the world today, we might be tempted to think that God isn't just. We reflect today upon things like war, where so many people suffer, it seems, just because of where they were accidentally born. Where people suffer from horrendous poverty because of where they happen to be, the family they might have been born into. And even where there are rich and where there is plentiful, we see the rich abusing the poor in all sorts of ways. We live in a world where human trafficking still exists and where all of this can seem to go unpunished. But Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The great white throne teaches us that people ultimately, in a way that we may not be able to understand and comprehend, will be judged for their evil. First of all, it teaches us God is just. Another implication it is we should be able to be those who can freely forgive. I don't know if you find it easy to love your enemies, or do you become a bit of a vigil ante. You're wanting to put the world to right all the time and that becomes your focus. This passage reminds us, of course we should work for justice and put things right and fairness, but ultimately we need to leave judgment to God and what we need to concentrate in this life is spending substantial time examining our own life, examining their own, our own plank in our eyes knowing that vengeance is God, God's, is, as Paul says in Romans, he is the one who will ultimately repay. So the implications are God is just. Second implication, we can freely forgive as a result of knowing that God is the one who will carry out justice. And then last, and most importantly, we need to tell people about Jesus. This should spur us on to evangelise. This should spare us on to be a witness for Jesus. 
reminded of passages like 2 Peter 3, 9, which says, He, God, is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. It is not God's desire that in this life people should live out of relationship with him, that people should go into eternity not in relationship with him. But God's will of desire does not always equate to God's will of decree and what will ultimately happen. But we can know, as John tells us, that for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what we must do is we must lovingly prepare people for the judgment seat of Christ. It is the most loving thing we can do. We must, as Christians, patiently pray for people that don't know Jesus, care for those same people, be committed to them, be ready to share the good news, and be encouraged by these words from Hudson Taylor. A little thing is a little thing, but faithfulness in the little things is a great thing. And so, with those that we know, with those that we love, let's commit ourselves to praying for them, to caring for them, and for sharing the love of Jesus, which can be experienced in this life, and is offered to everyone, if they would just call upon his name, if they would just kneel to him now, the love of Jesus is there as well in eternity. Amen.